Hi, welcome to the Yacht Business Podcast with me, David Fuller. In this episode, I talk to James Pleasance, Executive Director of the World Match Racing Tour, about where match racing sits in the wider sailing world, and new initiatives to provide access and increase diversity in the sport. Welcome, James, to the podcast. It's been a while since we've caught up. Thank you. It has. And it's been prob- some years. Yeah, probably pre, pre-pandemic and, and a bit before that. But I actually wanted to start with that because the disruptions according, you know, because of COVID and, and various things had a big impact on all sorts of sport, in, including the World Match Racing Tour. So how long do you think things will take to get back to normal? Are they back to normal? Um, and maybe what are some of the more permanent impacts of the, of the pandemic on the, on the tour? Hi and um, and thanks for having me on the on this podcast. Yeah, good good to touch base again. Yeah, it's been a um, look. I think it's been a, a challenging few years, and not just for the sailing industry, but but international sports um, overall, uh, particularly with with us as a global sports property, a sailing property. Uh, and I'm based in the UK, and we don't. Um, you know, we don't have events in the UK at the moment. So the the lockdown, you know, was particularly difficult, not just in my own country where we were stuck, but also gaining access to other countries. So it was particularly difficult, you know, after launching a very strong world match racing tour season under the the new ownership of the tour in, in January 2020, uh, and then just a couple of months after that, to have uh, to have the pretty much the whole world shut down a few weeks, was uh, a few yeah. weeks afterwards. I would say. Well, I'm going to say a few weeks. The news came out, but it wasn't until I guess whenever I forget the actions all a blur. I forget the actual date we were locked down. You know, obviously not being able to travel to countries made it difficult, and we had to call all of our stakeholders and events. And um, uh, there was a lot of uh disorganizing of, of events um oh. rather than organizing which is uh and and that continued really through 20 and to a large extent last year and to some extent still this year you know i don't uh, there's no magic switch that says okay just because we don't have to wear a, a, a face mask anymore on an airplane for example that doesn't mean that the world has necessarily you know come out of this completely so, and you've yes, you've had to relocate your final this year to to Sydney as opposed to China where it was going to be. Is that correct? Right, and 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 actually in in 2020 that was a you know terrific deal for us uh, agreeing a a long term deal with the government of of Shenzhen in in China to host the finals. Uh, you you'll remember previously we had a agreement in Malaysia with the Monsoon Cup and this reflected reflected a similar uh, arrangement. However, you know, a lot of the world was closed in 2020. So unfortunately, we were not able to run the championship in China in 2020. However, we were able to um, relocate the championship and it was hosted by the Royal Bermuda Yacht Club. So actually in 2020, we were one of only two world championships in the sport of sailing to go ahead. And both of them were match racing events. One was the youth match racing worlds in Auckland and and the tour in Bermuda, albeit under some fairly strict COVID 
rules right um in 20 and then uh for 2021 we kind of reset and and pushed ahead with plans to host the event in in shenzhen in china but china is one of the countries that that has not yet fully opened and so we were not able to uh, host the championship in shenzhen again last year um so we actually cancelled the championship last year and then we reset again for this year. Um, sadly, the rules haven't haven't yet changed in China, so we've uh, relocated the final this year in a kind of late arrangement with the Cruising Yacht Club of Australia out of Sydney Harbour, who have kindly agreed to uh, co-host the finals with us uh, from 13th to 18th of December. So we're looking forward to that. Is there... Other impacts in terms of things like you know moving moving kit around the world with supply chains disrupted and containers being a lot more expensive than they used to be and even flights for that matter moving competitors trying to do business you know their budgets try and get to events if the the airfares are significantly higher than than what they were pre pandemic. Yes, and yes is the answer to that. We have one distinct advantage on the tour in that the the way our business model works and has always worked on the tour is the is the boats are supplied by each of the events and so actually we don't ship anything so we ship a few flags and banners and and, and mobile phones and so we haven't had to deal with the uh, shipping issues of moving containers around which is which is you know good for the environment as well and always has been for us but I understand from other talking to other major events moving containers around it's been incredibly difficult and expensive to move containers flights uh yes uh flights are more expensive now particularly coming out of if we can use that term coming out of the pandemic as as a lot of airlines that were forced into lockdowns and you know at huge financial cost to them i'm sure they're trying to recoup costs as well so yes we have noticed flights being a lot more expensive and and you know that that has an impact on not just us as organizers but but competitors as well and fortunately, fans, we're not do moving. fans travel to world metric racing events, or are they more local fan bases rather than people? Who uh, they're more they're more local, to be honest. I mean, we we do have some 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 followers that follow us around, which is great. But generally, uh, the, the the fan bases are more are more local, unlike your sort of Formula One, you know, motorsport, where people will take a two three week holiday off to go and visit a Formula One. I mean, yes, we we. We'll get to that stage one of these days, but not at the moment. So our fan base is more is more local. So I was gonna I was gonna ask that in terms of your venue selection. I know that's been disrupted a lot because of the the pandemic, but you've also been trying to do some new things, whether that be the women's tour or the youth tour. Is the selection of venues, and I also know that World Match Racing Tour is a little bit different, as you've mentioned, because you have certain requirements from an event in terms of what they need to provide in the way of infrastructure. What are you looking to get out of venues and what are venues looking to get out of you in the in the current climate? When we look for venues for the World Match Racing Tour, um, we're looking for obviously good sailing venues with good weather slash wind conditions at any time of the year. Um, and we're also looking for venues that, that may be 
either independent promoters or, or largely yacht clubs or, or infrastructures that are already in place, in particular to uh, those that can provide a fleet of boats. And that tends to be at yacht clubs that have fleets of boats that they use for training or corporate activities year round. And again, that, that goes towards us not having to ship boats around the world, which currently under the you know, s- sustainability initiatives that we're all trying to achieve, I think is is one huge thing in, in our favour. So we will uh, look for venues that, that have a lot of that infrastructure and facilities in place. There are some venues, for example, uh, not to name any in particular, but in the Middle East, we've never had a World Match Racing Tour event in the Middle East, something I've always wanted to do. There are not necessarily that sort of infrastructure and facilities set up in certain venues yet so that there's also we also have the the opportunity to be able to to take boats in and facilities into a into a venue as well so that's what uh, that's what we will look for um in terms of what venues uh, can expect from us well with a you know longest running professional sailing series in the sport of sailing now we have a a good a good background a good legacy and if if the events are are funded well, both through the venue and through our own partners, we can come with a very comprehensive TV package and media package, which can really put a you know a a location on the map through through you know a broad media distribution, particularly in TV, which we've done very well in the past. Um, certainly over the last few years, it's been a little quieter for for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get onto that in a in a little bit, as I wanted to talk about how technology and and media technology has impacted rights holders. But before we get to that, I was actually thinking that probably the tech that has impacted the World Match Racing Tour more than anything else was foiling catamarans with wing sails. Yeah, the certainly when we started the tour, and you know we're we're twenty two years in the tour, and it was started in two thousand. The you know, as a match racing tour, we were largely set up as a as a stepping stone to the America's Cup, and and y- y- you'll know well then it was the version five boats, and so we had all of the America's Cup teams and sailors sailing on the tour, and just about all of the cup skippers that that you and I'd be able to name in the last however many years have been either champions or through the tour at one point or another, whether it's. Russell Coots, Dean Barker, Ben Ainsley, Jimmy Spithill, and so on and so forth. Now, when we started the tour, we were pretty, I'm, I'm even going to say we were pretty much the only global tour. And that has shifted certainly uh, certainly in the last 20 years, but more recently in the last say, five to 10 years with the introduction of the multi-hulls at the Cup and then from there the evolution of, 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 of foiling boats. We did move the tour into multi-hulls in 2016 for a few years, and that was under under the ownership of the tour at the time. Um, and that uh, certainly aligned us with with the cup again. Uh, then when it started to go foiling with the with the current cup boats, obviously that's not something that our current events, yacht clubs, you know, have uh, they don't have fleets of AC seventy fives readily right. available, <laughs> and so, and so the uh, you know the tour has remained still remains a match racing tour as the America's Cup does, 
but the boats have remained, you know, as those that are provided by the club, which are largely monohull boats. There's certainly been a shift in technology. I still like to think that, that you know, the America's Cup, uh, for example, is is and always will be at the moment a match racing event and we are a world match racing tour so if you you know regardless of the boat the skills that you acquire in match racing can be on a a monohull or a, or or a foiling or a foiling multi-hull because someone was say someone asked me the other day well you know would the tour open out to foiling boats my answer is very simple absolutely it it comes down to if there is a fleet of foiling boats and we've we've watched the uh, development of the 69f is that the Persi- foiler persico one or the- persico you can i believe you can fit six of them into a single container they can be moved around very easily could we see a fleet of 69fs at a world max racing tour event in marstrand in sweden well that, that would be challenging but but not impossible or another venue absolutely absolutely why not but that's not exactly as level playing field as what you've got now right and i i I understand that sort of getting on and off of different boats you know maybe favors certain skippers you know ian williams has sailed in bermuda many times probably understands that boat fairly well you know torvar seems to understand the m32 fairly well but someone who is used to sailing moths or foiling cats is going to be able to put you know have a, a distinct advantage over someone who's never foiled you're right and i would agree with that but it's it's an evolution it's a development if we were to put let's say a foiling boat on the tour at the end of next year or the middle of next year and teams have sufficient time uh, and there's an opportunity to train and and acquire skills to sail those boats i don't think it's impossible but you're right. It it it's you are right. Uh, there are those that have more skill on those boats and less on on even your traditional monohull match racing boats. We've had this great conversation. You know, well, foiling is the future of the sport. It may well be. I I draw the parallel between you take skiing for example. For many years, the the sport of skiing was on two skis, and then along comes this thing called snowboarding. And everyone goes, well, snowboarding's the future of the sport and, and skiing's dead. Now look at how how the two live together. Sure. The sport, the whole has become greater than the sum of the bot. You know, I, I had a, a chat with uh, Justin Chisholm last week about the the new AC40 right. and the fact that it's basically remote controlled, push buttons here and push buttons there. And maybe the kind of skill set that the world match racing tour used to be able to provide, which was just, you know, dial up after dial up race after race one-on-one after one-on-one maybe doesn't give in as much advantage as it, as it once might have. No, I would agree. I think it's certainly less so than it was. I think the, the way these crews are set up and the way these foiling boats are designed and set up to sail now require not just the the uh, the match racing know-how and skill but the but the sheer skill of being able to foil a boat at the sort of speeds that they're doing which is i mean it's phenomenal to see um and that's not something that you know we currently have on the world match racing tour i would love to have a fleet of you know the ac40s traveling around the world on a world match racing tour but i think that's not feasible just just at the moment right um i don't think the match racing skill set has disappeared but i think there's an a, there's a whole new level of skill required now 
to get around and if we you know align it with the america's cup to get around an america's cup race course and that might be doing it at 50 knots in you know however many feet above the water which is uh right certainly another level uh we touched on it just a, a few moments ago but the you 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 say that you've got a pretty good tv and you've always you've been in this industry a long time you've got very good relationships how has things like being able to broadcast directly to fans via something like youtube changed changed the game well i think it's made it a lot more accessible and it's and it's not just via youtube i mean we we've have traditionally on the tour had a a free to a free to air model we've uh, we we've dabbled in in selling tv rights in the past uh, and that's not something that traditionally sailing as a sport has been particularly successful at and so with the exception of some previous america's cups i i should say um so our model has tended to be more towards maximizing our exposure rather than uh, rights revenues um, and that uh, started off through mainstream broadcast channels both terrestrial live coverage and through highlights shows through through networks cable networks uh, around the world and then with the introduction of and this was even before drones came around you know we had cameras hanging out of helicopters and blimps and cranes in the, in the early days and then with the onset of youtube and in particular with, with social media now i mean it's i'd even go to say it's less youtube it's more more the your instagrams and and, and facebook's i think it's just made the accessibility a lot faster and uh, and and easier for those that are following they can follow at any time they can log in and follow at any time of of day or night they don't necessarily have to dial in at a particular time to watch um so i think the whole way both you and i and even you know my teenage children are consuming media now has changed dramatically for the for, for the good um i would say but changed dramatically i mean you, a lot of teenage children now who you talk to don't watch traditional TV anymore, even to the point they don't even have a TV license. It's all streaming online, whether mm. it's through Amazon or Netflix or the, the uh, linear linear programming is is dead. Um, I just can't uh, you know understand why anyone would have to say, "Well, I'm going to have to wait until 8 p.m. on a Wednesday to watch just a highlight show." It's just not. <laughs> why why do i have to do that in 2023 yeah i agree at the same time the audiences that that one has on their own youtube channel or a facebook channel are are a lot more limited than than you know a a network would have in place as well For, i'll give you an example you know we can put a a live or a highlight show on the world match racing tour youtube page or a facebook page we then have to get out promoted and make sure enough people see and watch it you put the same show on a eurosport just to to throw a network out there which has a a, a very broad coverage across you know 50 plus countries in in multiple languages although the audience might not be tuning in at a particular time uh, there is a there is a much broader reach so i I'm not sure I would say it's dead uh, through that more traditional channels. I think it's still necessary. Certainly for us, I think it's still necessary and has very good value. But I think much like we were talking about the technology of the boats, the technology of media, there's a whole new level now that that 
I like to think gives us more opportunity and reach. But does it wash its face in terms of the production? I imagine you have to spend, you know, still got to get camera people out there or drones out there or whether you're doing live commentary or not or whether you're, you know, packaging it up in an, in an editing room, that that's all time-consuming and expensive. So how does that how does that work? It's it's time-consuming and expensive. I mean, you know, sailing to, to televise sailing, and we've had this conversation I know many times before, televising sailing where you're – you you can't you don't have a fixed camera on a on a football stadium for example you're you're already into remote cameras on the back of boats or with gopros um and you're needing to get live footage off off a race course you know that inherently is is a more expensive uh, it's a more expensive sport to to televise well the costs of production uh, I don't think have changed a great deal, whether it's through a traditional broadcast network or through social media. It still takes the same amount of personnel and or technology to get that shot, whether it's from a skipper microphone or, or, or someone on board. I mean, obviously, there's been huge developments in, in technology since I started with the tour. And you mentioned the drone, which is which is one of them. I mean, you know, we didn't have drones and i started the tour i spent i spent every event trying to rent cranes and blimps at events which was and and that only gave you a certain distance from the shore now now for a couple of hundred bucks you can have a drone hovering over a race course and you can live film an entire race and i that's huge for and i think a great opportunity for for all sports i know the folks at uh, sail gp have invested a huge amount in their television coverage um and and are doing it remotely as well which is you know incredibly impressive whereby the whole tv production can be run from a studio i know it's in in london and you can have an event in in dubai or sydney and that ex that's extended to the to the officials and umpires um that are that are live umpiring races from a studio in london i think that's it's phenomenal and and it's been impressive to see with the world match racing tour we're not at that level yet but certainly uh certainly take uh, a, a huge learning from from what they've been doing and I'd, I'd love to see us be able to do that in the future this is the yacht business podcast available on all major podcast networks including apple and spotify please subscribe to make sure you get the latest episodes delivered straight to you as soon as they're published each episode also has its own webpage at yachtbusiness.biz where you can find links bookmarks and further reading on some of the subjects covered. Now back to the show. And what about some of the other things that, that other sports have implemented, whether that be heartbeat monitors or other wearable data devices that are, that are pinging back interesting information about what, what's going on? Have you experimented with any of that? We've done a little bit of it in the past, not not so much now because it's you know again these things do require budgets. But but this whole development of, of traditional TV watching now to I, I don't know what the technical term is in the media world. Is it double twin screening or double screening where you something like that a, a soccer match? You know you you're watching it on television, and most of the the a lot of the fans, particularly the younger fans, will have either a phone and or an iPad. And they're watching live stats, whether it's heartbeats, whether it's uh, distance you know, covered or whatever, yeah, distance covered, whatever. Whether they've even got a sports bet on the on the game, and 
And it's not uncommon now to see, and I see it in Formula One as well. I mean, the, the data that they've been able to extract from a Formula One race over like an hour and a half is, is quite phenomenal, both on the TV screen, but for the fans that want the additional information, you can go on the app on an iPad or a phone at the same time you're watching TV. And I think that technology has been uh, super impressive across a lot of sports, whether it's tennis, golf, um, with the whole live line, uh, overlaying graphics over over uh, TV footage is incredibly impressive. With the World Match Racing Tour, traditionally our events, the, the technology side of the boats has not necessarily been the stars. We're all about building heroes and champions and names on the tour. Um, the ability to be able to put a camera on board and a, and a microphone on a on a on a skipper, I think, is is something that we've not always been able to do, and now we can do a lot a lot easier. What about the individual teams and their coaches? Are they using that sort of technology to to be better or to analyze their their races and to train? A lot of the teams uh, don't come with coaches to world match racing tour events. Some do, some don't. Um, I've certainly seen a, a, an increase in in wearables. I'm not an expert, but these days, and you know, I wear one myself, one of these Garmin watches, which which can uh, give you a lot of information, whether it's on a whether it's on a golf course when I'm playing badly, or on a or on a on a sailing regatta. And so, I've definitely seen more of those being used by by teams. And, you know, we have to be a little bit careful in the mat tracing world as to how much of that technology we should allow and how much is fair and not not fair. Um, in terms of ley lines uh, and other, other sorts of things like that. Or... Right. And, and um, you know, traditionally that we don't have instrumentation on the boats in mat tracing. So it really d- comes down to a pure skill of the sailor. But there's certainly wearables that, that give a lot of that accurate information now. And we, and we see that a lot more. Uh, as it with Formula One, I think even with CLGP, they share a lot of the data as well. Um, so to be able to see uh, the speed, the relative speeds, the distance b- b- before or behind competitors um, with these, certainly the overlaying of, of graphics on TV that I've been particularly impressed with. Sailing, as, as you know, is very hard to show a television audience. You can get phenomenal footage on board a boat uh, whether you have cameras whether it's helmet cameras on board uh, microphone skippers or even a cameraman on board or woman uh, on board the boat as a as a perspective of a sailing race to have these overlay graphics has been very impressive and that's something i'd like to see a lot more of i think it's a a, a very good way to show those that are not necessarily sailing diehard fans what's happening the beauty of match racing is there's only ever two boats on the course and so rather than having to follow 50 white sails and work out who's in the lead there are two boats it's a 15 minute race and the first one over the line wins and so it's the one thing match racing whether it's at our level or the cup does have in its (laughs) favor i would say it's very hard to please everyone. It's very hard to please the purists who love their displacement monohulls and their match racing and want to geek out on the dial-ups and the and the tactics versus, you know, people who have come to the sport a little bit later on and are looking for speed. Getting that balance right is really, really difficult, you know, without patronising the people who know, who know exactly what they're talking about and 
and providing a product that is approachable and accessible for a for a new fan base is a really fine line to walk. Yeah, I I agree, and it, and it's it's always it is not so much of a problem. It's always been a challenge of a lot of sailing events that have televised either live or in in highlights. You know, getting that message across, trying to attract a fan base that, like you say, doesn't patronize them, gives them enough information to understand what's going on, but gives them excitement as well. A foiling monohull or multi-hull at, at 50 plus knots is, is exciting, regardless of what else is happening on the boat. We have to perhaps work a little bit harder with the more displacement monohulls, but I'd actually put it to you that, you know, some of our previous, you know, one-on-one mat tracing footage, if you if you televise it properly on board, um, and we'll actually have camera camera crews on board the boats with all of these, the, the skipper and crew microphone up. Different people watch Formula One for different reasons. You know, some people are sitting there counting yeah. the laps to the pit stop, and some people are, all they care about is the the red car in front. So exactly, it's, uh, <laughs> it, no, you're right. And I and I go back to you know I go back to our kind of mantra over the years and and our hashtag that we we've never changed. You know, which is where champions are made. You know, we've we've always felt because of the, you know, we're not necessarily in the in the te- the technology of the boats because a lot of the boats used on the tour are, are older boats. You know, we've always focused on creating heroes and and champions in this sport building profiles there are those that that like you say love to geek out on the technology of the boats and there's there's plenty of that in the sport for them to follow but what we found is 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 that a lot of fans and followers love to watch rivalries it's also a fantastic leveler you can be a three-time gold medalist and get onto one of these boats and get beaten soundly just because you know it's a different environment, a different set yeah. of tactics. On the other hand, you you might be someone who, you know, like a Ben Ainsley, who literally you know, gets on in his first season, wins the you know wins the championship just right because right. he's naturally um, talented. And then we'll have we'll have uh, new teams and new sailors who who will come on the tour for you know from nowhere and start beating these uh, you know three four time world champions, which I think is and we try and make as much of a story out of that as as we can you know you draw the parallel with the formula one you're right there's a lot of motor racing um fans out there that want to know every string of carbon fiber that's put into whatever system it might be and the and the type of tires that are being used and there's the fan base that just wants to see the rivalry between let's say lewis hamilton and and max verstappen and it's all yeah. about who's gonna who out of those two is gonna win the net who's gonna come in first for their pit stop Though the way that Formula One or and it's been built for them in many ways, that rivalry between those, you know, those names is so much of the story, almost more so than currently than than the technology, I would say. And I think sailing can take a lot from that. A little bit of a theme at the moment, looking at sort of new technologies and how new technology might disrupt or impact uh the marine industry in general, but but yeah, you know, for your parts of things you know being a rights holder and and an events organizer are there any technologies that you can see that that may have an impact on the world map tracing tour and in the future in the near future far future i think um yeah i think a lot of the technology we're seeing now will will impact 
the sport in general, but for the as far as I can see at the moment, and I'm and I don't profess to being a, an expert, it would be impact for the good, and a lot of the technology we've already seen in the sport that we talked about, you know, being able to. If I look at what we're doing on the World Match Racing Tour, being able to maybe even officiate matches remotely from studios in in parts of the world, I think that's a, that's quite a leap in in uh, using technology to reduce whether it's flights or emissions or, or whatever. I think that's a, a very smart move. The TV production technology, uh, not only from drones, but the ability to get live pictures from above or on board a boat has, has come on leaps and bounds over the last certainly 20 years, but even, you know, technology moves so fast. I mean, I, even over the last six months or, or 12 months, and it's interesting well, to when look I, at. When I started working with the tour with Torval Mursky and those guys early on, I still ha- had a Sony Handycam. I couldn't film anything on my phone. Well, and also, <laughs> and also, not just with TV footage, but take photography as well. Um, when I started in this industry, and that wasn't that long ago, it was all cam- SLR cameras with with slides, and you had to have slides processed. And there was a you know twenty four hour turnaround just to select the best pictures. Now with digital photography, we can have a picture taken from the top mark of a match racing event, and it can be on the sports desk of a of a media or a newspaper or a sponsor or stakeholder within sixty seconds at, at a quality arguably better than than a slide film. And so, technology not just with TV but but photography as well. And you combine all that together, the technology that has allowed the sport of sailing to be distributed to fans has, I think has been quite remarkable. And I, and I can see that developing further, you know, the ability now to have a fan put on a, a whatever they call it, like the, the, the was it Oculus goggles VR, and, VR and, goggles, yeah. and ride, you know, live during a race. I think we're going to see a lot more of, a lot more of that, not just watching a, a drone footage or an onboard footage on a TV or or whatever, however many screens you're following, but to be able to be immersed live into into sport like that, whether it's in the in the driving seat of a Formula One car or, or a live match racing boat or AC seventy five doing fifty knots, uh, I, I can see a lot more of that coming. I know that virtual regatta and some of the offshore um, gaming has been phenomenally popular over the few years. You know, hundreds of thousands of people playing the online game, maybe even more people than are even watching, <laughs> to be honest. Can you see any sort of thing in that sense? I do. I do a lot. Um, and we uh, became very close to doing it. I mean, certainly during the pandemic, when people couldn't go out sailing, they they took to the iPads or whatever it was, and and the virtual regatta. I had a phenomenal run during COVID. I think there was over a million. Stand corrected. I think there was over a million competitors of the of the Vendée Globe or, or whatever one of the round the world races, which is quite astonishing. People getting up at all all uh, times of the the night to change the direction of the of their boat, and I think that was a a real development again with technology, technology meeting gaming, meeting this online experience that that sailing was able to grab. We got very close to, and I and I think we'll set it up. There's a cost element to it. We will do it in the future, whereby with a match race, 
uh, again, very simple. You can have a friend or we can have a whole ladder system. We can have a whole online and e-world match racing tour whereby you simply select your competitor and you have to do a 15, 15 minute match race. Um, I think that's, that's right for us to, to do and hopefully would give us a new following and an audience as well. Uh, you know, it uses very much the same sailing rules as uh, exist already through a lot of the other things virtual regatta are doing. The only difference would be you won't be in a fleet of 20 boats. You'll be a one-on-one. That'll, that'll be a great opportunity for us. Yeah. Something we've, we've actually got in the works, but haven't done, haven't taken long. Well, yeah. There's obviously there's always budget element to these things. Um, uh, sadly there is. Yeah. What but about, uh, what know, about blockchain? Yeah. Have you, have you been paying attention to this sale GP DAO team owned by a blockchain DAO thing? I'm following it with interest. I think the idea of, of having a team run, I don't know how they do it, virtually under a DAO or, or a DAO-funded DAO team, I think is pretty bold, pretty ambitious. It's not really been done before, so I, I congratulate them on on investigating, you know, taking I, a direction. I think the entire world it. match racing tour could be a, could be a tokenomic-based system because it's a decentralized, distributed set of events anyway. You know, you right. could create an economy where basically every every tour card was an NFT, every trophy was an NFT, the prize money was distributed as a token based on results that the events got to share in the the, the whole the whole tour I, could be turned into a tokenomics based DAO. I would certainly not not close the door on that opportunity. I think and, and you talk about where's technology going. I mean, look, I'm I am not an expert in this, but I, I read and follow it with with interest. The idea of having a, a group come together and, you know, having a team funded by by this sort of decentralized, whatever, a DAO or whatever, you know, an individual being able to invest in these teams, whether it's, say, an America's Cup team or a World Match Racing Tour team or a CLGP team, I think it's pretty, it's quite cool. Well, it's also it's also trends, isn't it? I mean, you you had back in the day, first you had tobacco and then you kind of, that went away and now there was a bit of a sports betting. They had all the money. Financial services yeah. had all the money for a while, and and now it seems that that the cryptocurrency blockchain space is where all the marketing money is sloshing around, or at least was until they all crashed at the beginning of the year. There's been a lot of fast money in in that world, and still is. I'm a little skeptical sometimes, but then you know there's there's tangible results of it as well. So, not sure if anyone really knows where. The crypto world is going to be six months from now or 12 months from now. I know a lot of big sporting events, and you see it in Formula One as well, you know, have have uh, taken a, a you know huge financial backing from, from the crypto world. And uh, I don't think it's going to disappear. So I, I could no, there is a lot see... of crossover between Formula One fans and crypto fans, though. I mean, it's a technology, latest technology, high performance kind of. I don't know if you heard this big conversation I had with a guy called. Johnny Dodge a few weeks ago, who runs a Grand Prix promotion team, but also runs a super yacht charter company. And mm -hmm. he's seeing a lot of younger guys, um, mostly guys, come into these sports with a lot of cash generated from the from the crypto space. And it's changing the it's changing the game literally, um, all the way down to the way a super yacht is used and designed. Uh, you know, there's a lot of synergy crossover the, the synergy with with some of these sports, and including sailing. When you talk about performance and strategy and making quick decisions and split second decisions, and we've experienced it with our 
previous title sponsor, a global FX company, that the synergy between that and a lot of yacht racing, but particularly match racing, those those making split second decisions and having a good strategy with your race and the performance and getting the speed. There's, there's a lot of crossover and it fits very well into uh, certainly the FX world as we found, but also now into to, to crypto, whether it's trading or, or, or other. So I think we'll see more of that in the sport. I think the, the biggest use for blockchain potentially within sailing would be at a, a like a sailing CV level. You know, if, if the results of your sailing, as a professional sailor, if the results of your sailing were written into the blockchain in an immutable form, that basically then you could go back and say, okay, here is the here is the record of who who came what where, and it couldn't be couldn't be changed. Um, that that could have some interesting um, impact for rank things like rankings. But anyway, the, the, it's funny you mentioned rankings. There are some issues at the moment with some of the the rankings that having a world ranking in whatever sport you know provides the backbone of a lot of a lot of sports, particularly what we do on the World Match Racing Tour, where the winner of the tour. Of the open tour is is the official match racing world champion the backbone to all of that and how sailors and skippers and teams can can reach that world championship is through the rankings and so having that having the rankings and the information that pertains to it is very much a backbone of certainly what certainly what we're doing you know our tour is a, is, is an open tour but like you said earlier we've we've also launched this year the, uh, the the women's world match racing tour which i'm really excited about and that came after a lot of conversation over whether sports should and particularly well with the world match racing tour should it be a mixed discipline should we mandate mixed crews in in all of the events i don't think that's necessarily the solution at the moment to to increase female participation in the sport i think the, the the issues that have been up until now is for a lot of the female sailors to have opportunity in the sport right you know yes occasionally a crew will have to have one female crew member and i see that a lot as a box ticking exercise and a, and a and a press release um to be harsh there rather than creating real opportunity for you know women to compete at a at a at a level not just as one member of a crew but as a as a team and we've seen you know the women's world match race tour has been a, a great success in 2013 uh the women's international match racing association created the whim series the women's international match yeah. racing series for five or six years and that that quietened down just prior to the pandemic and that's essentially what we've taken on uh, with their full support and we've refreshed and rebranded as the women's world match racing tour and we put four events on the tour this year and it and it's they've all been oversubscribed. You know, we've had, like I say, nearly well over 120 female match racing sailors, that skippers and crews, compete on the tour. Currently it's the world, the sport only professional sailing series for women. So I'm excited. Well, it was such a shame that it was killed from the Olympics, wasn't it? I mean, there was so much investment put into into match racing when there was that women's match racing medal. Well, London, 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 twenty twelve. It was, it was one of, um, and again, I'll stand corrected, but I recall someone saying it was one of the most watched of the sailing live TV because, it, because again, it, it, it's, it's relatively easy to follow. It's two boats around, of course. It's, it's like a boxing mat on water, and I think yeah. even the generic sports fans can understand that. 
Could match racing and should match racing be in the Olympics again in the future? I certainly think it could be. I know that the sport's got a problem with, with the, uh, not a problem, an issue with increasing the quota of athletes that, that sailing is allowed in the Olympics. Something that we've discussed recently and, and just at the World Sailing Annual Conference was the idea of being able to multiple medal in sailing. I'll give you the example of that is you take an existing Olympic squad across the various dinghy classes that that, that are not team sports, that are individual or, or two, two person. And then during the Olympics, out of that squad, put a match racing team together, which means you don't increase the, the athletes, but you do increase the, like the a, medals. Like a relay so, in a swim, like a swimming relay. Exactly that. Now you look at LA 2028, coming up after Paris, the sailing venue for LA 2028 is the end of Belmont's Pier in Long Beach, which is where the Congressional Cup has run one of the sport's leading match races for the last 60-odd years. Match racing's ready for it, and the beauty of it is no one has to buy a boat because they'll already be there. I'll always fly that flag. Getting it through the system and actually making it happen is something that may or may not ever happen, but there's a lot of support for it. Just going back to diversity, and I know I personally right now I don't think that the, the gender diversity is the issue in sailing. The the bigger issue to me at the moment seems to be cultural diversity sailing. You know, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, France, UK is still very much the you know seem to be the dominant nations. Is is there any way that the World Match Racing Tour can work through the academy to build it out in yeah. territories where it doesn't traditionally have a have a base yes absolutely and i think um interestingly we've been talking about setting up several academies match sailing and match tracing academies in asia uh, including china which and the, and the project's a little bit on hold at the moment for reasons we, we talked about yeah. post-pandemic match racing lends itself quite well to to getting new people into sailing whether it's just two boats i mean there's obviously got to be a certain level of sailing knowledge and racing knowledge um but yeah absolutely i think the whole sport uh, needs to focus on that not not just us we've had uh, we've we've taken the tour to a number of venues in the world that are not always in the more dominant countries that you mentioned. Was, I think there, ever just... a leg- was there ever a legacy of, of the Malaysian uh, connection? I know you, you're in Malaysia a lot, a lot. A lot of the finals were held there. Was... Well, the legacy, yeah, the legacy was for, you know, for just over 10 years and it, and it went quiet after it's, the ownership mo- moved on from there. But that was hugely successful, not just taking – uh, and promoting sailing in Malaysia through the Monsoon Cup, which was also the final of the tour, but also the Malaysian Match Racing League. There were uh, two separate leagues that that went around Malaysia and put, I think it was somewhere in the region of 15,000 children, a lot of whom, and youth, a lot of whom had never been into sailing. Um, and it got them on on board as well. And that was a, that was a, yeah, a, a fabulous legacy that was, 10 to 12 years um, and something that, that, you know, has, has gone a little quieter since the pandemic, but something that could very easily be started up again. 
Yeah, so um, there is a model, um, and I think you know Martin Sale did something similar, definitely. not not with map tracing, but certainly the, if there's political will to sort of you know create that environment and infrastructure, then exactly. And Martin Sale is a it. great Martin Sale is a great case study for that, and you know the, the, bit, there's a lot of uh, chat about a lot of investment in the Middle East now, and look at recently with with Saudi Arabia and the investments that they've been making in in the Gulf world. Um, and some extraordinary developments that are coming out of that part of the world. You know, what's the legacy that's going with it? Yes, it's easy to take a sports event into these countries for five, six, seven days, set up a tent and then throw some TV cameras and then leave. To me, I think the important thing is creating a longer term legacy and having a fleet of boats. And I know there's a Jeddah Yacht Club that took delivery of a of a fleet of Far East 28 boats that are now in situ year round. That's a perfect opportunity for us, if anyone is listening, um, to be able to create a match tracing academy and even a world match tracing tour event because the boats were already there. So think longer term year round legacies, not just what someone can do in seven or 10 days of, uh, of an event. I think the sport, whether it's not just map tracing, but across all levels of the sport, and particularly with the kiteboarding um, and windsurfing that we're seeing, I think there's a huge opportunity for the sport to push itself and promote itself more in in more emerging markets than than the the more dominated ones that you talk about. Okay, James, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, are we off the record now? No, I think it's good. It's good stuff. That's it for this episode. Join the conversation on Twitter at Yacht Business, on Instagram, The Yacht Business, or find us on Facebook. The Yacht Business Podcast is produced by Pelot Media. I'm David Fuller. Until next time. <laughs>